Hey, hey, hey. Happy Thursday. E-Watch Care Ministry Partners. Listen, I'm excited. I'm excited about um, what God is doing. Um, listen, I thank God for you taking the time to sit and listen to these teachings. Hopefully it's been a blessing to you. Hopefully you're learning something. Hopefully um, things are being opened up to you. Hopefully you're getting something uh, new out of this. And, and if not new, then hopefully it's refining your understanding. Okay, so I'm excited about this week's teaching. Uh, I think it's going to bless your life. I hope it's going to bless your life. I know it's going to bless your life because that's all that God's word can do is even when it cuts us, even when it corrects us, whatever God does, it bless it blesses in the end. Right. So if you're ready for this week, let's go. Welcome back. So this week we're going to be talking about this teaching is entitled matters of the soul and uh we're going to be in the book of ecclesiastes so uh let's do some key facts and all of this is of course going to be on the um powerpoint presentation so if you want to uh after listening you want to go back and just look at the powerpoint presentation or if you want to give it a glance beforehand you can pause me now and go and glance at it so that you can kind of get your notes together or whatever and you can just follow along all right so the book of ecclesiastes key facts the author is believed to be king solomon the key word is hevel the hebrew word is used 38 times in this book and literally means a mist or a vapor or breath in this book, it really speaks to the futility of life from a human perspective. Uh, so when you see um, over and over again through reading the book of Ecclesiastes, talking about life is but a vapor, it's but a breath, it's but a mist. That's what it's talking about, the futility of life, how life is literally here. You're literally here one day and you're gone the next day. Well, that's what the saying used to be. That you're here one day and gone the next day, but now it's like you're here one minute and gone the next minute. So life can be very, very fragile is what it's talking about from the human perspective. Uh, the outline of the book of Ecclesiastes is an autobiography kind of in nature. It's a narrative. It's a lot of allegory in it. It's a lot of reflective speeches. It's not just he just didn't write it in one framework. Uh, he wrote it in a lot of different ways in one book. That's why sometimes it's very hard to follow. Um, and so, because you have to know that it's broken up into different parts. So part of it is autobi autobiography. Part of it is an example story. Part of it is allegory. Part of it is reflective speeches. Some of it is poem poems. And some of it is an epilogue. So, but the overall message of Ecclesiastes is literally this life can only be enjoyed in the context of having the fear of God or the reverence of God. And when we talk about the fear of God here, we're talking about reverence in him in a respectful manner. And um, so we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 2, chapter 2, verse 2, I think. 
so if you're on the if you have like a tablet or some of your phone separate from this and you just want to click and get the scripture so you can look at it at the same time that's pretty neat that's pretty cool you can do that and so I'm going to see how much I have written here let me just click ahead and see how much I would have to read because <laughs> I really want y'all to read I really want you to do it yourself and so I guess I'll, maybe I'll read it. I'll read it. Let's just, let's just make it interesting. I'll read it today. Ecclesiastes 2 and 2 says, <clears throat> I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself. And by planting beautiful vineyards, I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women. Others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasures, the treasure of many kings and providence. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. This is Solomon talking. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all of my labor. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. This is verse, this is chapter, this is verse 11, I'm sorry. Like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Ecclesiastes 12 and 13. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Did you like that little reading music I gave you? Wasn't that nice of me? <laughs> okay, so let's get to the lesson. So Ecclesiastes is best read from a spiritually mature perspective. Why? Why is that? Why don't you need to read Ecclesiastes from a, from a very spiritually mature place? Why? Because if you read it when you're already feeling down or you're already feeling depressed, 
or you really don't have a healthy picture of who God really is or, or what this life in him is all about, it's going to make you feel worse. Honestly, like it really is. It's going to make you feel worse when that isn't the point or the aim of this book at all. Uh, if anything, it is to help us to see that even if we were given everything we ever wanted or everything we could imagine, it would not bring us the type of satisfaction we think it would. Neither would it provide us with the things that we think it would. Neither would it fill the voids in our soul that we think it would fill. I always teach uh, God's people that he is a multidimensional God in every way. Seemingly, he doesn't do things without it working on several different levels and it being multi-layered or multifaceted all at the same time. He is very dynamic. God is very dynamic in his approach and he's very brilliant in his execution of things. Even in his dealings with the author of this book, even with Solomon himself, uh, he's very multifaceted, multilayered, and even in your own life, he'll be very multifaceted and multilayered and very brilliant in his execution of the things in your life. So let's look at Solomon. Let's look at Solomon. Let's see who this is, who this writer is, who this author is. Let's go to slide eight. If if you're following or if you want to make a note, just make a note now to look at slide eight. Um, slide eight. So let's look at Solomon. First Kings three and five. And here you're going to see, I'm not going to read it. You're going to read it. So I'm not going to read it. And if you want some background music while you read, you can hum yourself a little ditty. Uh, so I'm not going to read it this time. But you're going to read it, but I'm going to give you an overview. So here we have, uh, this is when God appeared to Solomon in a dream. And um, the Lord appeared to Solomon rather in a dream. And he asked Solomon, he told Solomon, ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon told him, basically, you've been very kind already to my father, David, um, because he was very faithful to you. And, you know, you've continued in this kindness to him. And I mean, you've given him a throne to sit up on and everything. And so you've been very kind. He said, um, and now you've made me king in, in, in the absence, in place of my father, David. But I'm, I'm only a little child in this, in these things. I don't know how to be a king. And he said, you know, you've given me to be over this great people a chosen people, your people. And so I'm asking that you would give me a discerning heart to govern your people. I want to be able to distinguish between what's right and wrong. I want to be able to just do what's right concerning your people. And the Bible says, verse 10, that the Lord was just so pleased with how Solomon answered him. Um, that he told him, well, since you didn't ask me for what people normally ask me for, you didn't ask me for a longer life, you didn't ask me for wealth, nor did you ask me to kill your enemies. 
Um, but you asked me for discernment in, in how to administer justice. I'm going to do what you didn't ask me to do, but I'm also going to give you what you didn't ask me for. And I'm going to make you so distinguished that there will really be another, never be another one like you. I'm going to give you so much wisdom. I'm going to give you so much wealth and so much honor so that in your lifetime, there will in your lifetime, catch this in your lifetime, there will never be another king equal to you in your lifetime. And but here is the condition. He says, verse 14, and if you walk in obedience to me and if you would keep my commands as your as your father David did, I will give you a long life. And then as soon as God said that, Solomon woke up and he realized that he had been dreaming. Okay. So Solomon, this is Solomon. This is this is the son of King David. He's the one who if God have chosen to take the throne after his father. Um, this is Solomon that built God a temple. Uh, his father, David, remember his father, David, wanted to build this temple for God. But God told him while it was admirable that you want to build a place for me. Uh, no building made with the hands of man can even contain me. And matter of fact, everything belongs to me. And he told David, God told David, you're a you're a man of war. You know, you've uh, shed too much blood with your hands. But I'm going to honor the, the fact that you desire to do a thing for me. And so it's, look at the character of God. Uh, even when uh, he knows when you set your heart to do something for him. And he'll honor that. Even if he don't allow you to do certain things, he'll bless your desire to do certain things. So he had told David, you know, it's admirable that you want to build for me. But, you know, really no place you can build on earth really can contain me. Because first of all, the heavens are my throne. The earth simply a place to rest my feet. Uh, I mean, what do you see that I didn't make? But it's very admirable that you would want to build me a house. And see, David wanted to build God a house, the Bible says, uh, because David looked around and saw what all he, God had blessed him with. And he was in a, um, a, a castle of himself in a very nice place in a in a in a um, in a palace. I'm sorry, himself. So he looked around and then he saw the um, the Ark of the Covenant was being kept in, in a temporal place. And so he really wanted to build God a temple that that because there was no way he felt like he should be in a palace and in the place that represented the presence of God, not be in a in a in a uh, permanent place as well. But God let him know, well, literally, the ark just represents my presence, but you couldn't contain me. You couldn't build a place to contain me. And so but he told him, um, I love your desire that you desire to do it. So I'm going to let your son do it. I'm going to let Solomon build a place. Uh, that represents my presence. So Solomon begins uh, building the temple in the fourth year of his reign as king. And it took him about 20 years to build both his palace and the temple. As you can imagine, both were very majestic in appearance. I mean, they were loaded down with the best of everything. 
And as we read in Ecclesiastes 2, Solomon really did live his best life. I know people talk about they want to live their best life and all of this stuff, whatever, whatever. But I'm telling you, Solomon really was living his best life. He had everything a human could want. He literally said he denied himself nothing. So imagine living that kind of life where you got everything you could ever want. Ain't nothing out of your reach. And not only this, the devil ain't giving it to you. God giving it to you. Like it ain't like that. It's the enemy tempting you. It's the enemy trying to lure you with his goods. No, 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 no. Solomon had everything he ever wanted because God gave it to him. So, I mean, God gave him everything he ever wanted. He denied himself nothing. And then on top of this, remember what Solomon said, he, his wisdom, I mean, he had all of these things and he didn't have to lose an ounce of wisdom. God had given him the greatest, his gift of wisdom, unlike anybody before him by his own testimony here in the scriptures. He had built himself houses. He had vineyards. He had uh, uh, reservoirs. He had gardens and parks with irrigation systems. This was not seen before. I mean, this speaks to his level of wealth that he was able to build irrigation systems. He owned servants. He owned flocks and herds. He owned, and then not only was he not, he was rich in in, in herds and cattle and, and land, but he, he had money. Solomon had silver and gold. He had greatness. Isn't that what everybody is chasing these days? They want to be great. Well, he had everything a person could desire. Not only did he have riches and honor and wealth, but he had extreme wisdom and he had insight and even while denying himself no pleasures, he didn't lose any of his wisdom. And he found pleasure in all of his labor. I mean, and he took what he wanted. Yet we see throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, and we read this book. I want you to read the book. But I want you to get this in you before you read it so that you won't come out of it depressed. Okay. He had all of these things. And imagine, like I said, I want you to put yourself in these shoes. And I know you want to put your, some of y'all, if truth be told, you want to put yourself in the shoes. Some of y'all have heard the, the story of Solomon and then tried to pray that little prayer, asking God just to give you wisdom and stuff like that, hoping he'll give you everything else, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you done did it. But, you know, listen, he had everything. Put yourself there. You got everything. You deny yourself nothing. God gave it to you. You live in your absolute, quote unquote, best life. Shouldn't you be happy? Don't you think you would be extremely happy? Like over the moon, over the hilltop happy? But as you read this book in its entirety, you'll find that this same man, Solomon, was not happy with the things. He was vexed. As a matter of fact, because he said after he looked at all that he had, I mean, after looking at everything that he had and all that he had built and acquired, everything he worked so hard to get after looking at it, because remember, he didn't just have human perspective. He had the wisdom of God. So he saw things from a human perspective, but he also could see them from 
uh, a spiritual standpoint. And he saw it to be all vain. He saw the vanity of it all. He saw the futility of it all. And isn't that what happens to us if truth be told? We, we look at our lives and we set our goals and we think if I could just get this, if I could just get that, if I could just get this car, if I could just get this house, if I could just get this degree, if I could just get with this man or if I could just have the right woman, if I could just get this or that, then I will be happy. And no doubt when you accomplish that goal, yeah, you feel good. You feel good. But if you notice, it don't last. That good feeling, that thing that motivated you to chase it, that thing that motivated you to get it, and that feeling that you had when you first accomplished it, it doesn't last. Why? I mean, we all have that Solomon moment. After looking at it, that degree that you did all that for, now you may have student loans attached to it. That car, so beautiful, but if you didn't buy it outright, it's just another bill to pay. You know, that man or that woman that you may have wanted so badly, they fun to have, but, and they, and they, they may be good people, nice people, but you find after a while they don't feel the void in you. So, I mean, the money that you want, you get, you get a little more money, but after you sit and look, the more you make, the more they take, and it's never enough. I mean, it's never enough. If you feel like you can never do enough, you can never have enough, you can never get farther enough. And no matter what you do, no matter what you accomplish, no matter where you live, no matter what you drive, that space does not seem to be filled. It, it, it just don't seem, no matter what you do, it didn't scratch that itch. It didn't, it didn't satisfy. How is that possible? How is it possible? How is it possible to look around and see everything you ever wanted, but it does not fill the void? It does not satisfy. This is the place where Solomon arrived and, and he concluded after examining everything that in all of his wisdom, in all of his earthly treasures, that this is all ultimately very vain and meaningless. And that really life can really only be enjoyed within the context of the fear of God, the reverential fear of God and obedience to God. Now, we look at Solomon and think, wow, God blessed him like that. And some people even get envious of it. Others, they want a chance to experience it. Yet the spirit of the Lord in his wisdom, he gave me another view of why God bestowed all of this upon Solomon. And as I stated before, God is very multifaceted and multidimensional. I strongly believe that God wanted us to see a living example of how you can literally have it all. Every pleasure life has to offer all the riches under the sun, even wisdom and greatness and a name of fame and on every level yet, it you it's you will find it still does not provide you with what uh, you would imagine it could. It will never feel the longing in your soul or bring you genuine contentment, understanding 
or real happiness. I don't care how much you strive for things, how much you acquire, how much you accomplish or how much you achieve or how much you have while here on the earth. God has designed it so he has pre-designed it so that you will never find fulfillment in things that are made to be temporary. Everything that you see here is made to be temporary. Uh, look around you. Things get old. They fade. Clothing gets old. Cars, when you drive them off the lot, they begin to depreciate in value. Money even gets old. It loses its value. Even our bodies, as we get older, our bodies uh, begin to deteriorate in different places. Those things that you used to could do, you can't do no more. You used to could run that distance before and it didn't bother you, but now bones cracking, stuff hurting, and you can't even hardly get up the next day. Listen, it's all temporal on this side, right? So I believe that no matter how good it looks now, but no matter how wonderful it feels to you today, one day you're either going to have to leave it or it's going to have to leave you. That's how we are, literally. We're here today with each other, but one day we have to leave others or they're going to have to leave us. Everything is temporal. And that's why as believers, we're taught to build our hopes on things eternal. The things that will never die, they'll never get old. They don't erode over time. They can't get stolen and we can't lose them. We got to focus our attention on the real treasures, on the real gift and the real blessing. And he has a name and it's Jesus. And he comes with his own set of treasures, gifts and blessings. And none of what is associated with Jesus is temporal. None of what is associated with Jesus is vain. None of what is associated with Jesus is meaningless as the earthly things of this world that we just seem to chase so faithfully, looking for something to hold on to. We're going to have to face the truth and hold on to that. Nothing created to be temporary can truly satisfy you. Nothing that's passing away daily can be the place that you put your hope. And it definitely can't be what you're built off of or what makes you. Our foundation must be Christ. He must be the truth that shapes our minds. He has to be the truth that shapes our world, our thoughts, and his spirit must be allowed to guide us in all things. The Bible says, and this is on slide 11, 1 John 2, 15, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world only offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what God, what pleases God, will live forever. So, if we don't, Focus on what really matters and what's really eternal and what really can found us and ground us. We're going to be caught up in these cycles of vanity called lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And that's from 1 John 2.15. Physical craving, craving for everything we see and taking pride in our achievements and our possessions. 
So it's a, I wonder why. Why? We have to ask ourselves this question. Why do we invest so much of ourselves into these things while identifying with Christ, while trying to identify as believers? We got to ask ourselves, why is this of so much importance? Because, you know, what I have come to discover in my walk with the Lord, uh, the desires we have that he gives us, they aren't bad. They are purpose for his purposes. All of these plans, you know, I look around all of the plans that I, I made. I wanted to do all of the degrees that he's allowed me to get. And I had my own plans for getting those degrees. I mean, honestly, I, <laughs> I had my own plans. But it was around the second degree that I discovered that if he permitted me to get it. And did I say permit? I did say permit. Uh literally permit me to give it that it was not going to be about what I wanted to get out of it. It was going to be purpose to do something for him. And that's the key. Cause if it's purpose to do something for him, that's the only way it could be purposeful. Because remember Solomon kept saying, I built, I built, I gathered, I gave, I denied myself nothing. He kept saying, what all he did, but he found it to be meaningless in the end. But when you walk with the Lord, you learn that your life is really not your own and everything you go through is connected to helping somebody else. It's never about making self great. And I know that's the climate. That's the thought of today's world. How great can we be? How great you are and all this type of stuff. But that is the opposite of what the scriptures teach us. It's never about making yourself great. Jesus said in the Bible, if you want to be great, it's who can be the least among you. It's not who can deem yourself as great. So listen, it's about helping others. It's about helping others come to some place in God in some form of fashion. When we can really wrap our little beautiful minds around that fact that it ain't about us, my God, that's a game changer right there. As a believer, listen, as a believer, if you're a believer in Christ, your job ain't going to be about you. Your relationship ain't going to be about you. Your marriage ain't going to be about you. Your calling, your gifts, ain't none of that about you. What you drive and even where you live ain't going to be about you. It's going to be about what God has purposed for you to do with what you have. Your satisfaction. And we were talking about matters of the soul. Satisfaction of the soul can only be found in Christ. And we find our purpose in obedience to God and doing the things, the good things that he have planned for us to do that glorify him. And in doing these things, I mean, it's amazing you learn you really see your purpose for being here. I often laugh after going through things because I say, you know, God, that was literally all about you. That didn't really. <laughs> and it's about the person that I was called to help that was going to come along and I was going to have to share with them what I went through. And, and it's going to be all about God. I mean, he deserves the glory. He is God. Right. And so, uh, we really have to get the point of it all. The God of the heavens and the earth, the one true and living God. I mean, he deserves the glory. He wants glory and he, he demands it and he fully deserves it. 
And he is so kind in nature that he makes us to be these little lights for the earth with the intent that we would emulate Christ wherever we go. And instead of clamoring for the glory that fades, this temporary glory, you know, that we would serve him out of love now. And in return, we would await that glory, that eternal glory when Christ returns. That's what I love about the founders of the faith, the apostles of Christ. They served him faithfully and they walked in authority, but they remained humble enough to never seek glory for themselves because they were looking for that future glory as partakers of Christ. They were satisfied with knowing that whether they had little or much, they had the real treasures of heaven laid up for them that nobody could steal. And we must get to the point where we realize that there is only but one way to satisfy the longing of the soul and the void that we face. It doesn't come through things. Happiness doesn't come from these temporary things. Go to slide 13 or 12. I'm sorry. Happiness. Let's define happiness while we're on the subject so we can stop being messed up about if we happy or not. The world defines happiness as a feeling of pleasure because of your life, because of convenience or even luck. But that's not what it is. Happiness in the Bible. Happiness and blessedness are interchangeable in the word of God. And it's a state of being. It's a state of being as pronounced by God. It has nothing to do literally has nothing to do with your environment. When you're, when the Bible says you're blessed, that means happy. When it says happy, that means blessedness. And it, it has nothing to do with your environment. It has nothing to do with what your, uh, uh, what your state of life is. It's connected to your knowledge of who God is. It's not something associated with the tangible goods of this world. So what is happening is, the Bible says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or set his foot on the path of sinners or sitting in the seat of mockers. I want you to look at that, that uh, this slide is slide 12. This is who the Bible says is blessed. I want you to read those things because you'll find that your definition of happy or blessed is not the biblical definition of happy or blessed. And we got to take the biblical definition of these things, because if not, we'll always be seeking after trying to fill our souls with things that he didn't tell us to fill it with. So I want you to know that you are blessed. You may not have as much as you feel like you, you need, you want to have, uh, but compared to most of the world, baby, you are rich. Matter of fact, you real blessed. Go to the next slide. You can look at slide 13. You'll see if you got a bathtub, you're better off than 70% of the rest of the world. Only 30% of the world's population can even actually read. Less than 5% own a computer. If you've, ne- if you've never faced the horrors of war, pain of imprisonment, or pains of starvation, you're ahead of 500 million people throughout the world. If you got clothes in your closet right now, if you got food in your refrigerator, and if you got a place to sleep, you're richer than 92% of the rest of the world. Look at that. You are blessed. We have to get this. We have to get this so we can stop trying to fill ourselves with stuff that was never created to satisfy our soul. We got to learn to utilize what we're given for good, not to get caught up in things and people and places. What can truly satisfy my soul? What can fill that void? Only Christ. 
his spirit, his word, his truth, his way. That's what can fill us. That's what happiness is. That's what that's what being blessed is. That's what can fill the longing of your soul. So remember, even if he gave you everything you ever wanted, you would find it ultimately meaningless. That's why you got rich people right now, multimillionaires taking their lives and stuff because they look around and they still didn't get that thing filled in them that they were looking for. So understand it doesn't come through that. God gave us Solomon as an example. This is a picture. Even if I was to do this, you would find that it was meaning nothing. And even the man that had everything came to the conclusion that without me, that without reverence or fear of me and without me being there in him, it's meaningless. It means nothing. As a matter of fact, uh, things didn't work out too well for Solomon in the end. He got caught up in things that he had. I mean, so listen, it's not about that. It's about getting to know who God is and what his purpose is for you. And so that's a part of why I believe God connected us. Because he wants to help you see your, your divine purpose. Amen. And so I'm going to stop right here. There are going to be more slides on the um, on the um, slideshow, but I'm going to cut this lesson in half. So we're going to come back and finish the second part of it. It's going to be a part two. All right. Is that OK? Well, I, you know, I can't hear y'all say no way any. So it doesn't even matter. It's OK. <laughs> So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us for another week. Listen, we love you and we are praying for you each and every week that we meet with your local church family. We we take out a moment in, in a service to pray for you. And we're hoping that you're praying for us too. Listen, take out a few minutes of your day and just send up a prayer for us and for your local church family, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we're all in this thing together. We literally are in this thing together. So we want you to be encouraged. So we're going to take a moment just to pray. Father, we thank you so much for this, your child, your son, your daughter. We thank you, Lord, for bringing them through another week. We thank you for protecting them from danger, seen and unseen. We thank you, Lord, because you are good and you are worthy. We thank you for speaking to us in this way today, for teaching us what our belief and our faith should be in. It should be in you. It should not be in anything that you created that's temporary, but it should be in you, the one, the eternal one. And so we thank you for giving us that wisdom and that knowledge and allowing us to be stretched by your word to come out of the futility of things and chasing after things, knowing, glory to God, that you're going to provide us with what we need. And Lord, that you have purpose for us in everything that you do. So we thank you, glory to God, for another opportunity to come before you. Lord, I ask that you would touch this son and this daughter. I ask that you would bless them. I ask that you would keep them. I ask that you would go before them and prepare the way that you would send favor before them, that you would bless them anew, that you would strengthen them anew, that you would give them joy unspeakable that you would give them hope and peace and, and, and glory to God that you would continue to keep them, that you would keep them from danger seen and unseen in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Lord, I thank you 
for your blessing upon their life. I thank you. Hallelujah. That as they continue to eat the word, that they will continue to grow in the things. Hallelujah. The things that that matter the most to you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And I thank you, Lord, that it will reflect in their lives. I speak advancement over their lives. I speak growth. I speak glory to God, new doors and new ways and new mindsets, new hearts and new spirits in you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that it is so. Thank you. Hallelujah. That angels go before them. Thank you. Glory to God that the blessing is prepared ahead of the time. In Jesus name, if there be any sickness in their body, Hallelujah. I rebuke it in Jesus name. And I speak healing and wholeness over every part of their life in Jesus name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen.